RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast. Real Animals Podcasts are presented by my good friends at Contender Boats. Today, joining me, he is the host of Guidelines TV, which is streaming now at waypointtv.com. Uh, he is also the owner and operator of Silver Lining Charters, Captain Jay Withers. Jay, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Mike. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. You know, just holding up through all the chaos, just uh, just like you are and everybody else. I uh, I got nothing to complain about in the big picture, my friend, for sure. For sure. How's and that's uh, the truth. And, yeah. Uh, I was thinking the other day that we actually had this scheduled, and knowing our challenges in the past to be able to put our schedules together, how we had to wait for something like this to come around where <laughs> we could all just about get to our roundtable and have a good conversation. <laughs> no doubt, right? Well, it, it, yeah, it takes something large to get the world to slow down enough for uh, people like us that go a million miles a minute. So um, it's all good stuff. Let's let's. I got to start at the beginning, Jay, because I want to. I want to. I want to give. I want to know how to, how did it all start? And, and I think for the listeners, it's important to know. Jay and I fished, you know, side by side in Boca Grande Pass for many years. I was down there for ten years, and yep. I'm pretty sure for all those ten years that I can remember, um, you know, you were one of the other boats in there, real early in the morning and real late at night, uh, yep. as we were chasing chasing tarpon in Boca Grande. Um, in my opinion, one of the better fishermen on the west coast of Florida. Um, as I mentioned in the, in the open there, you know, the host of guidelines TV, which I think is, is really well done. Uh, great TV, great production, uh, as it's produced by the same people that produce real animals, TV, colorblind media, uh, Kevin and Taylor brothers over there. Um, so, you know, just one of my favorite guys on the West coast of Florida. And I want to know, I want, I want to know, and I want the, the listeners to know how did, how did this whole thing start? How does, Jay Withers become Captain Jay Withers and, and host of Guidelines TV and all that good stuff. How did walk us through how that happened? <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it is a lengthy story, but <laughs> the, the the long short of it, I guess, is you know I was a many people don't know this. Some of my you know some of my close clients and certainly friends know, but I was uh, I was a diamond dealer and jewelry designer in Ohio. Um, you know, basically my early adult life. And um, when you're a diamond dealer and jewelry designer, you go to trade shows just like we have for the fishing industry, and they never send jewelers to cold places. So we went to Florida, we went to San Diego, we went to Savannah, Georgia, some cool places. And I hired guides in all those places. And um, I'll never forget, I was in 1998, hired a guide out of Anna Marie Island. And uh, that gentleman still guys today, uh, Matt Ricoli. Um And um, I don't know, I just got off the boat one day. Uh, we had a great day on the water. The guy was wearing flip-flop shorts and T-shirt. I gave him 500 bucks. I jumped back on a plane the next day to Ohio to snow, sleet, a suit and tie, French cuffs. And I'm like, this is craziness. This is absolutely insane to be doing this. And that's what started the wheels turning. And then uh, fast forward 2001, I came down here by myself on a quote-unquote fishing vacation. 
and uh, never fished, but looked at properties here in Port Charlotte area, uh, hung out at tackle shops, went back home and convinced my wife to move to Florida so I could be a fishing guide. And uh, and she uh, she believes me. She says, you know, if you think it'll work, let's do it. And my guy, within three months, that that was September. I was down here in Florida during nine eleven, and I could not fly back early. Uh, needless to say, so I spent a little extra time down here. But in three months, sold basically everything we owned. I moved down here in January of '02. And uh, as a Ohio boy, I had to get some time on the water for get my captain license. And uh, I got my captain license in October of '03, and I have been full time ever since. And the transition, as you can imagine, was not easy. But when you're, you know, when you're from Ohio, you're trying to fit into the whole Southwest Florida fishing crowd and guides. There's not a whole lot of love for, you know, <laughs> for, from anybody north of the Florida line. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I just kind of kept to myself, did my own thing, um, and worked the, the guide business like a business. And that's probably what has set it up as it is today, um, you know, with with the success I've had, and I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. But I think a lot of opportunities and uh, and success comes with just hard work. And as you know, I mean, you you're the epitome of that as it is. So yeah, you know, that's really the story of how I got started in the guide business. You know, I just looked for a place that I could uh, call home, and I could figure out a way that I could be on the water and fish, and somehow make a little bit of money doing it. I would give probably a, a, a pretty large amount of money to see the look on your wife's face when you first <laughs> when you first brought it up. I'm yeah, probably... you know, honestly, she she really didn't know anything other than the diamond business. And you know, her short answer was, "Yeah, man, if you think it'll work, let's do it." But you got to tell my mother. <laughs> so, and she is the youngest of seven. So that conversation was a little tougher, talking my mother-in-law into the idea that, hey, by the way, we're we're bailing on the whole diamond business, which was really good to us. My wife and I, this past March 25th, been married for 25 years. So she has seen, you know, we, we've been as broke as we could possibly be, and we've had enough money to be, you know, like getting along without any giant worries. But I can tell you that going from the diamond business, which when you are in your 20s and you're making a little bit of money in the diamond business, you know, life is pretty good outside of having to be tied up in a 1,200-square-foot office and wearing a suit and tie every day and having to go through snow, sleet, and you can't fish all the time, Mike. I had to dig holes in the ice to go fishing. I, I like, I'm over it. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's um, you're right. The look on her face at first was um, was like, "What are we do? What is going on now?" But she is a team player, and uh, she believed in me, and that was that was ultimately the the catalyst that got it going. You know, because she knew. What I'd put my mind to, we were going to make it work. And to be honest with you, I didn't have any, I didn't have any backup plan. That was 
my plan was to make it work. So <laughs> when I got to Florida, I got to work. And yeah. I fish, all, you know, I fish all the time. You know, when you do that, when you have a limited amount of uh, resources and you're trying to put it together, trying to start a charter business, you fish as often as you can to try to learn the water. So that's ultimately, you know, what it comes down to is just trying to figure it out, figure out the game. And uh, I'm still learning it. I mean, it changes all the time, as you know. Um, but you got to be able to put yourself in the right position to be successful. And the best way to do it, in my opinion, is time on the water. Well, and, and, and I think that, uh, you know, if I was going to give advice to a youngster that really, you know, wanted to be in the fishing business, first of all, I'd tell them not to do it and go to college. Um, and then I would I would tell them that, you know, the fishing part of the fishing business is really a small part of it. You got to have it. Yeah. You got you to gotta be able to do it. You, you got to get good at it. You got to be able to put people on fish. You got to know the water. You got you to gotta be able to keep people safe, you know, running 40 miles an hour across a flat. You better know where the bars are and where everything is and all that stuff. But the, the business side of fishing you know, is where I think so many get tripped up because, you know, when you're, when yep. you're fishing for checks every day, that's where it starts to change. And then when you get red tides and freezes and, you know, different things that get thrown at you, that's where your business plan needs to be rock solid because it's just the reality of what we do. It's the reality of what we go through. We're, we're, we're dealing with mother nature and with mother nature, there's always going to be curveballs. You know, there's going to be a week where it blows 25 and you're going to have a heck of a time getting on the water. Um, you're going to lose some trips. That's just the way it works. You can't, you can't, you know, Oh, I got a full book. Let me go spend a bunch of money because you're the chance that you're going to run all of those trips. Isn't great. Um, it's just, yeah. it's, it's yeah. just the real, it's just the reality of it, you know? So, um, 100% but, agree. And I, I tell people all the time, one mother nature wins all the time. All the time. And you know, there's, there's a phrase that I've said for years is, you know, I can't control the weather and I certainly haven't figured out how to force feed the fish. Um, outside of that, we're going to have a great time. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with the county here in Charlotte County. Um, and they, they, sometimes they'll put together, typically it's once a year, they'll put together this program where, uh, if those, like you just mentioned, those young, uh, call it new generation of guys want to kind of get the, you know, feet wet, get kind of started in the right direction. Well, the county puts together a kind of four hire program of which they've asked me to come in and, and talk about essentially setting up a business model. And, you know, honestly, that's the one thing that I see that new guys that get into the game, you know, they they just think, like, hey, I'm going to go fish today with a couple, two or three people. They're going to pay me $500, and it's going to be it's gonna be like that every day. I, what else do I need to do? Well, <laughs> there's a whole list of things that need to happen in the middle, middle of that. And just to reiterate what you said, I mean, it's going to be a number of days that you just can't make it happen. And what right. happens if you have boat issues or motor issues or, you know, I, when I first started guiding, Mike, I bought a $6,000 1989 flats boat 
that had a million hours on it, but I did everything I could possibly do wrong in that boat. But I bought that boat because I knew I was literally learning Charlotte Harbor on the fly. Because when I moved from Ohio, I never once put a line, I never once wet a line in Charlotte Harbor till the day I moved here. Wow. And that was a bold strategy to move to an area <laughs> that I'd never fished before. But it um, it allowed me to be able to uh, really kind of dissect Charlotte Harbor and backtrack into what I was saying is people start off with sixty, seventy thousand dollar bay boats and think that that's what's going to make them you know a great fishing guide. Reality is, I caught a pile of fish and when I was sixteen in my John boat. Uh, <laughs> Let alone, you know, the kind of boats we have now. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think it's an interesting transition in, in the guide business, and by no means is it easy. As most veteran guides will tell you, it has taken a lot of time, a lot of effort. Uh, sometimes sweat equity is what wins. And um, there are days that I'll put the boat in the water at 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and not take the boat out of the water until... Nine or ten o'clock at night. Yep. I mean, I don't. Know if, I don't think I'd ever want to actually add up the amount of hours to the amount of pay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've always heard, and you probably can, you know, agree to this: is you know, you'll never work a day in your life if you do something you love. And that is cliche. That sounds. That one hundred percent is the way I feel. Because honestly, Mike, when I don't have a charter, I fish. Like right. that's that's my time to go. So um, yeah, it's it's been an incredible journey. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I still today learning every time I get on the water because something's always changing. Always changing. There's always something to learn, and I think that's something I see out of the best of the best. Um, and there's some really great fishermen on the west coast of Florida. So when I say that I, I put you in a category with the best of the best, uh, I don't say that without it carrying some weight. But I, I think that it to me that's two things. One, the best of the best never seem to stop learning, and the best of the best are always the most attentive to the details. And I'm not yeah. just talking about, you know, well, it's an incoming tide today. I'm talking about, really digging in to the details, the water temp, and what's the temp in the Gulf and that water on an incoming tide all night, the water's cooler in the Gulf and that incoming tide cooled the water down some this morning. And I mean, there's so many variables and so many things that go into what we do to be really, really good at it. And I, I think that it's, it's, you know, through all the seminars and filming shows with different captains and all that stuff, the very best of the best that I've ever fished with, they're so detail oriented that it's scary. I mean, they, you know, they're not happy that they caught fish. They expect to catch fish. So they're not really happy that they caught them. They got to know why they were there, where they came from, where they're going to be tomorrow, what they're eating. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, and that's that's really the piece to all of you guys that I put in that little category, the best of the best. Um, and I think that's what separates you all from, from the rest of the group. Well, no, I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you saying that. It, 
you know, a lot of it, as I mentioned, you know, comes down to sheer work, work ethic, attention to detail. Um, I've got really bad OCD, so that's part of it too. But, but you know, there's, <clears throat> I've sat on the flat sometimes with clients, and some of the things that I look for is just water movement. Yeah, I want to have water movement, whether it's incoming or outgoing, but I'll be looking down under the boat. My clients are fishing, and I'm looking down at the boat at the grass. And in certain areas that I fish, there's, you know, certainly much more tidal flow than others. And um, I can look at the grass angle and tell you when the tide is going to finish at that point or when it's going to start at that point. Just based on looking at that same bit of grass for years and years and knowing the amount of water flow that governs across that grass and knowing the time to make the decision to move from A to B can sometimes be the the one change of the day that makes all the difference in the world. Um, and a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, many of us wanted to have the quick and easy answer. As you know, I do a pile of seminars, and the one question I get most generally is, where are the fish? I mean, you can stumble on it enough times that you can throw enough soft plastics or hard baits or live bait, whatever, you'll eventually catch some fish. But the number one question that's asked is, where are they? And the answer to that is they're never in the same place all the time. Number two, it's it's fins and no fences, right? They They can swim wherever they want. But I tell people, look, time on the water – by using your troll motor or your push pole is the best way to find the fish. And, yeah, there are, over the years, as you know, certain little details of those shorelines that will hold fish other than, you know, more time than not. But there's no 100% right answer, let's go here. You know, it, it changes all the time. Elements change. Uh, habitat changes. Um, which we've all seen here in Florida, and you got to be able to adapt with those changes. Well, and, and I, I, I often tell people, you know, fishing in the Tampa Bay market with so many people on the water, so much fishing pressure, I'll see a boat drive by me fishing on a Tuesday, and on Wednesday, they'll be in that spot. Where you I, are. Where I was the day before, where yeah, they saw me. Yeah, of course. But I always, it's funny because I'll tell whoever I have that day, I'll be like, yeah, that guy drove by me yesterday. I don't know who he is, but I've never seen him there before. So he just pulled in there because he saw us yesterday. And, 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 you know, my customer will be like, well, doesn't that, God, that's got to really make you mad. I'm like, no, it really doesn't. You know why? Because he's not there on the same tide. They're not going to chew yet anyway. By the time he figures that out, he'll get frustrated and leave. And, and we'll, we'll go in there in a couple hours when that tide's right and we'll still catch them. And yeah, that's what happens is the, the attention to the details. They don't, you know, they saw you sitting there, but they didn't, they didn't put any th- thought into it that, Hey, you know, it's the incoming tide. He's fishing it this way. Cause the wind's blowing this direction, whatever. They don't put all the pieces of the puzzle together. That's right. And most anglers have horrible patience. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're not willing to wait out you know, that right tide or understand where, when, and, and when that right place, uh, to be at the, you know, the right time, it's just 
if you know they saw you and it must be a great spot yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. they may or may not catch them but yeah. um yeah we have the we have the same thing that happens here i mean i think in any body of water where you have a strong population of anglers you know that happens um, yeah for sure it's there's no way around it um but and that's one of the things that i try to convey at my seminars is you know i want people to you know learn the waters and you know don't don't go fishing by phone or you know by watching other boats you know learn you know some new areas too for crying out loud charlotte harbor isn't nearly the size of tampa bay but there's plenty of water to fish oh yeah and 10% 10% of, you know, you heard of, you know, old story of 90% of fish are in 10% of water. Well, that's true. And yep. all that, all those, sometimes those locations change, but you got to be on your game. And, and I, and I kind of paint the picture of, you know, golfers, you know, I, honestly, I haven't golfed in a long time, but, you know, golfers that historically golf five, six days a week, you would expect their game to be pretty strong. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't get me wrong. When I did golfing, I got my money's worth, right? <laughs> because <laughs> I golf maybe once a month. But the same anglers come down here that are really good at golfing. They struggle in the fishing side of things. You know, like I'll use an example of casting underneath docks. You give that rod and reel to somebody with a small eight-ounce jig head. Cast that jig head underneath that dock way into the shadows about 10 feet. And they will wear that dock out trying to make it happen. <laughs> right. And then I say, hey, if you don't mind, let me, let me just see that, see if I can fl- slip it up, um, up underneath there. Sure enough, first cast. And they're like, man, I don't know how you do that. Like, for the same reason when you golf five days a week, your short game is pretty strong, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do this every day. This yeah. is what I do. Yeah. So... You know, those are some of the things that, you know, you gotta, you gotta understand that if we're on the water all the time, the, the amount of uh, time on the water makes a lot of that learning curve get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, I like to uh, tell, I like and to tell anglers my, that fish all the time can understand that. I like to tell my customers when I do that, when I tell them, listen, I need that bait to be on the trees. And they throw it up there, and they're three feet from the trees. I'm like, you're not on the trees. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I take it, and I put it right on the trees. And they're like, God, you're really good at that. I'm like, well, I hope that I'm better at this than you are because you called me. So I hope <laughs> yeah. I hope that I'm there. You know, I do this every day. So and yeah. I, I, use Tiger, I use Tiger Woods. I'm like, Tiger Woods doesn't hit golf balls once a month or five I- times a year or six times a year. Tiger Woods hits golf balls every day for hours. What I do every day for hours is I'm on the water. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And you know what? Tiger Woods hits a ball that goes in the sand trap. And every now and then, I pitch one a little too close to the trees, and I hang it up, and I got to break it off. It happens. But it's going to happen to you a whole lot more than it's going to happen to me. Yeah. That's just the way way it works. Let's, Let's talk about. I wanted to make sure we touched a little bit on the state of Florida fishing in general, mm-hmm. um, because, because I believe you're so good at your craft and you spend so much time on the water. 
Uh, and now with your guidelines TV show and doing some traveling around the state and filming in different estuaries, what's your opinion of the state of Florida fishing? Man, that's a giant, giant hill. Um, so the answer to that is, I think that I want to believe we are coming through the worst that we have seen. And it is on small, small granulars getting better. And, I, and I'm cautiously optimistic by that just by saying the the quality of fish that we're catching now and even the juvenile fish that we're catching now is giving me some hope for the future. Now, if you'd have asked me that question <clears throat> two years ago, I'd have had maybe a little different answer, uh, partially because, you know, our grasses are hurting, Mike, as, as you know. Uh, yeah. We're losing lots of seagrass, which is habitat. Uh, the the bait that gets onto those flats, the fish that are chasing those baits on those flats, you know, are having to move. They're they're going to different locations. Um, I'm encouraged to tell you that in some areas that I have seen some uh, really some seagrass loss, it's starting to show small little signs of some regrowth. So, you know, that's partially why I'm I'm optimistic. It's just to see what happens. Um, right. You know, this may not be super popular, but I'm a big fan of regulation in regards to your catch and release. Um, I'm also a big fan of fish dinners. You know, I I love me some triple tail or some cobia, uh, some pompano. Um, you know, but if you're an inshore game fish, smoke redfish and trout, you know, I, I'm a big fan of that catch and release program. Um, fortunately, or unfortunately, depends on who you are, um, the state has helped us with that. But that's, you know, primarily because of that giant red tide issue we had back in 2018. Um, sure. So, on a positive side, I, I feel really good. Like, this past winter was maybe some of the best red fishing that I've had in many years. And I'm not talking catching the Giants. I'm talking catching 12 inches. And you're like, Jay, why, why are you getting excited about 12 inches? <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't know. That's not something that's really going to stretch a whole lot of string. But <laughs> reality is those redfish grow like eight inches a year. And that oh, yeah. tells me that our broodstock has made it through a season where they did not get hammered by, call it red tide, because that's happened a couple times just of recent years. And those juveniles have made it back into the estuaries to where they can start to grow. And, you know, I, I filmed I filmed a show, you know, through guidelines with Lisa Fitzgerald at CCA, which you know very well. And that girl can fish, right? So oh, yeah. we caught a absolute pile of those small juvenile redfish and small trout as well. So it was very encouraging to see, you know, that unlike two or three years ago, you know, I'm talking to local captains that have been here for 25, 30 years that were seeing a steady decline 
in that in that slot fish and the juveniles and we're really really concerned and this year this past winter specifically much larger catches numbers wise of those juvenile fish which can only lead to some positive things going down the road i don't know about you in tampa but right now our water is as good as i've seen it in 10 15 years I agree. Yeah, ours is ours is incredible. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing the bottom in areas that would typically not have that clarity, and you know, the resources and habitat. I think is starting to respond to that, uh, and that's maybe part of the reason why we're seeing more grasses start to regenerate uh, where it had at one point been completely decimated. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, nobody wants to sit in gloom and doom, right? But I think that encouragement for our seagrasses coming back uh, to be on the water enough to see the catch rate of juveniles uh, in that redfish and, and particularly in the redfish and the, in the trout categories start to see a rebound. Um, you know, I got to tell you, uh, it gives me a little warm, fuzzy feeling that, you know, maybe, just maybe, we are starting to come out of the funk and uh, see some regrowth. Now, having all said that, I did film a show in the Indian River just not too long ago, just within a month. And to be honest with you, I was heartbroken. I, yeah. fished, I fished in an area that the gentleman I was with, um, he absolutely was, and this is, this gentleman, Wade Fishes, um, and it's Jason Arman, and he's, he's a Wade Fisherman and knows these flats by every single sand hole and pothole and grass patch, and it was unbelievable, the lack of grass that would normally be there. So, now granted, those waters are much, much cleaner than they were. Uh, at one time, it was very dark, and, you know, that's partially what killed some of that grass. But um, even he has some optimism for that area as well. Well, yeah, and I'm hoping over there that, um, you know, our good friend Blair Wiggins, Captain Blair Wiggins, from addictive fishing, uh, who we have, we've done, I've done a podcast with him about this subject. He, uh, he is on a huge, uh, clam project, um, trying to rejuvenate those waters, um, from over clamming for years. Um, the clam is, is so important to their estuary. Um, and to have those clams non-existent over there, I think has done great damage. I really do. Um, I remember, you know, years ago fishing the Redfish Tournament Trail and, and just every inch of Mosquito Lagoon was beautiful grass and the fishing was extraordinarily good. I mean, it took you a while to get used to it because there's no tide and so it's there was a huge learning curve for me over there, um, you know, coming from the west coast of Florida over there to where we, you know, if the wind's blowing then the tide moves, if the wind ain't blowing then the t- nothing moves, it was crazy. <laughs> yep. Um, right. so it took, it took a while to figure it out. Um, but you know, just 
you know, and somebody like Blair who had fished it for so many years to see what they go through over there is, is, is terrible. So, you know, hoping that Blair's clam project continues to grow and continues to get better and rock and roll. I, I've said for years on the TV show, um, d- doesn't matter where I'm at. Um, you know, whether we were filming in Costa Rica or Louisiana or, you know, South Carolina, wherever, you know, I, I'm not the guy that gets upset when I see small fish. Small fish indicate a healthy fishery. You can't if if you're only catching big fish or you're only catching little fish, then that's not great. In order for the estuaries to be healthy, there needs to be different year classes in the estuaries. You know, your breeder fish or your older fish, and those fish need to be in that estuary. And if they're doing their job, then you're going to have good numbers, you're going to get on a flat somewhere that's covered in 10, 11, 12, 13 inch trout. Um, and and that's a fish and that's a fish that's important. Those fish are important to the estuary. They're important to the other game fish. They're important to the predators they are important to everything, the birds. Um, so, so many pieces of the puzzle in the estuary have to come together. It's, uh, and I agree with you totally. I think, that we're getting there. And I know it's painful for some people, uh, of the radio shows. Uh, I tend to get blasted from time to time, um, being in favor of some of our closures and, and things that I'm in favor of, um, which I understand because not all those opinions are popular and not a, a lot of people really understand the opinions totally. Um, but it's, I think it's, I think especially an organization like CCA has done such a great job of, uh, of being on the forefront of that battle in Tallahassee and getting people to really understand what we need to have done to keep these estuaries up and running for the future. You know, I've got, uh, I've got daughters, I've got grandkids and, uh, I want to see them be able to enjoy this incredible place that we get to live and work and play, uh, just like I've got to enjoy it. So, and I think that's the only way we can do that. So a couple of questions here before we wrap up. Yeah. What is, what is captain Jay Withers favorite way to fish? What is your favorite technique? Is it, is it fly fishing? Is it, uh, you know, plastics, uh, you know, paddle tails, hard baits. What's Jay's favorite thing to go do when Jay goes out on the perfect day, Jay is fishing with his wife. What is Jay doing? I'm likely throwing topwater. I think that, you know, across the board, if I had a choice and I could only leave with, you know, maybe one rod, one reel, one plug, I would throw topwater. You know, there's there's something to say about the topwater explosion from a smoke or redfish. Um, that, you know, kind of gets my blood going just thinking about it, you know, but... <laughs> Uh, beyond that, I guess it would fall second to sight fishing. I love to sight fish probably, and then if you think about it, topwater fishing with plugs and sight fishing has a very similar balance, and, and that goes to the visual game. So for me, I think the answer to your question is topwater fishing. Um and then the close second to that would be sight fishing on the flats. You know, I, I have a Maverick that, you know, I, I'm a big fan of fishing in the wintertime, super shallow, clean water. 
Uh, and I have lots of anglers that love to throw artificial. A lot of my fly guys love to visually see that fish attack the fly. Um, but I think that overall, if you if you just say, hey, you got one shot, what do you want to take? I'm taking probably um, my baitcaster, seven-foot rod with a topwater, <laughs> and letting her eat the rest of the day. And honestly, <laughs> right now, you know, April is critical topwater time for me. For I mean, sure. I can catch sure. some really nice snook and be caught on some topwater right now. Um, yeah. May not always win the battle with that topwater, but the the initial strike is something to behold. Yeah, there's no doubt, no doubt. All right, so here's another one. Yep. If you could only fish in one place for the rest of your life, yeah, one place. Now it's going to be, it could be anywhere you want, but you only get to fish in one estuary for the rest of your life. Where would it be and why? I would, I would say probably the Ten Thousand Islands. Um, Everglades National Park is a starting point, and, I, and there's a couple reasons why. One because I don't get to fish there nearly enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, get, I get that. Um, yep. And two, because of how vast it is and the, the number of species you can catch out of one location. Look, I'd love to tell you it's down in South Andrews Islands, Bahamas. For bonefish, is probably some of the prettiest, most scenic fishing that I've had. You know, beautiful waters, bonefish everywhere. But for me, it was very one-dimensional. I'm not saying that I wouldn't want to go back. I'm just saying if I had one place to, like, this is the only place I can fish from here on out, I would have to pick the Everglades just by sheer numbers of fish, variety of fish, and any given day you can change your look. You can go get lost in the backcountry of the 10,000 Islands, or you could just venture a little bit offshore there and the whole world opens up. So I think that's probably where I would spend that time uh, if I had a choice. Well, I think that's a solid choice, no doubt about it. Solid <laughs> yeah, choice. I, I would love to tell you it would be right here in Charlotte Harbor, but you said anywhere. I, I chose Charlotte Harbor on the Atlas, you know, back in the day when we used to use the Atlas. Um, yeah. I chose Charlotte Harbor because of what Charlotte Harbor you know, offered as a – as an estuary, um, you, know, you can't put any buildings and houses on an aquatic preserve. So that was that was a big big selling point for me. But and yeah, we have lots of variety here, just like you have in Tampa. Um, you know, I I went with maybe a little smaller, um, you know, home, a little more of a, a low key spot in Port Charlotte. Uh, to kind of develop his business, but um, Charlotte Harbor has been really, really good to me. It's changed over the years, um, but it's um, still a place I love to call home. Uh, and yeah, I, I like to visit Ten Thousand Islands on occasion as well. Uh, and you know what? I got kind of thinking here. You and I haven't fished, and maybe ever. And we need to change that here in the next month. <laughs> I, I was thinking. I was thinking. I was thinking that. I was thinking that too while we were talking. I, you know, uh, I, I would. I would absolutely. 
I'll buy the gas, I'll buy the lunch, I'll buy whatever. I would love to just come down and spend a day with you on the boat in Charlotte Harbor. Yeah, um, man. And just go fishing, just hang out. Um, yeah. You know, just just chit-chatting with you over the years, getting to know you um, has been a real treat for me. Again, somebody that, you know, um, I knew fishing against you on the PTTS and uh, on the Redfish Tournament Trail and all that stuff. I, I, I knew that you were a great angler. Uh, but the more that I've gotten to talk to you, um, the more I find we have in common with the way we look at things, the way we look at business, the way we look at conservation, uh, all those things, I, I think uh, – a little time on the water is due. There's no doubt. No doubt. I got one more, one more question for you before we wrap this thing up. Yes, um, if, if you could give one tip to anglers to help them catch more fish, what would be that tip? Oh, God, one tip. Uh, uh, spend more time on the pull motor and not the outboard. You know, I, I see a lot of people – you know, well, and I'm sure you see it in your neck of the woods. Maybe it's not as much because you have some areas where you can't be burning shorelines. But the trolling motor allows you to be able to cruise some shorelines and understand the shorelines and the habitat of which those fish love to be in. You can't really tell that as effectively with an outboard rolling behind you at 4,000 RPM. When I first started guiding, I separated Charlotte Harbor into quadrants. And, Mike, I fished these quadrants for two months straight, each quadrant, both incomings and outgoing tides. And that was to learn that particular area. And there were some days I didn't even take fishing rods. I just went and learned the area. Um, and I had a huge uh, nautical chart of Charlotte Harbor, and I used to put pins red thumbtacks for redfish, yellow thumbtacks for trout, white thumbtacks for tarpon, uh, and I think it was blue for snook. And where I caught those fish in learning this ground, I would thumbtack that particular area. And uh, I still have that board. Uh, I don't do that as effectively as I used to when I first started. But (laughs) the the point of that is, you know, you spend some time on your trolling motor or your push pole and learn the waters. The fish will be there if you understand certain areas that are holding fish based on the habitat that is there. As a short example is a shoreline that has crushed shell bottom, sand crushed shell bottom under the mangrove roots that come out, say, five yards, that is a super highway for fish. Shorelines that have grass that lead all the way up to the mangroves, in my opinion, haven't been as effective for me. And I really look for shorelines that have that crushed shell. And that's something that you can find by, one, fishing it, two, just run the troll motor. You run that troll motor along those edges, you'll be amazed what you can find as a new angler or somebody that's trying to figure out the game and whatever area you're fishing, if you can understand why that fish is there, it will make you a better angler in the long run. No doubt. No doubt. Well said. Well said, my friend. He is Captain Jay Withers, GuidelinesTV.com for information on the great show that he hosts, uh, streaming now on Waypoint TV. You can go to WaypointTV.com and check out 
past episodes and uh, future episodes as well. And then CaptainJ.com is his website where you can book some trips and find more out about my good friend, Captain Jay Withers. Jay, thank you so much for spending a little time with me. I know you're busy like I am, and uh, I, I really appreciate it. Great podcast, great information, and uh, I'm going to hold you to that. If uh, you got a, a day you need to have somebody push-pull you around or something down there, give me a buzz. I'll, I'll, I'll run down there. You're close enough. I'll be there in the morning, and uh, we'll splash yeah, the boat. I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy the fuel. I, I'd enjoy that. That'd be fun. No, man, I, I look forward to that day, and Mike, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, a guy that works as hard as you do in the industry, take some time out, put a little uh, Captain J here on, on the podcast. It means a lot. Um, I appreciate you for sure, and I'm sure I will see you on the water. Hey, gang, hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Real Animals Podcast. Captain J Withers, uh, I will definitely be taking him up it is offered to spend a little time on the water. Uh, you can just hear the passion for the sport in his voice. Super professional, great businessman as well. Uh, he works really, really hard, constantly giving seminars, and uh, um, his work on Guidelines TV is spectacular. So I really, really enjoyed that podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Remember, the Real Animals podcasts are presented by Contender Boats. And they are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and ritampabay.com. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It means a lot to us. And if you have any ideas for someone you'd like to hear us do a podcast with, you can direct message me on our social media outlets, uh, Facebook slash Real Animals, or on Instagram at Real Animals TV. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We appreciate you. This is a place for my head quick fix on Radio Influence. You guys might know him from Puddle of Mud. You might know him from Operator. You might know him from Rev Theory. He's one hell of a guitarist, one hell of a songwriter. His name is Paul Phillips. I don't want to say that, you know, I, I had it as bad as some people. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't even have it as bad as Wes. Like I said, you know, he, he wanted that stuff. So he, he kind of seeked it out and didn't mind it, you know. But, you know, you know, that's what brought the drinking on for me because um it was actually when i left puddle the first time and, and went to operator that's when i really kind of amped my my drinking up and and kind of that allowed me to kind of get into a, a mindset of okay punch in your time clock okay put on your little silly rock star costume go up there and jump like a monkey look at all the people you know make your <laughs> rock star faces Get off stage, shake hands, sign autographs, you know, and then I would be the life of the party at the after party, you know. That's when I started meeting like all my heroes, you know. And the problem was is, you know, that it it didn't stop kind of when I, I got off the road, you know, I would come home and, and like you said, with the like social anxiety, but it's just like if you kinda if you have like a broken leg, you know, and it's and you're on crutches and then your leg heals, but you keep using those crutches and you keep walking, then your leg is never going to get stronger and eventually you're just never going to be walking on your own because you're so used to walking on crutches, you know? So your muscles that allow your leg to walk are going to be completely gone, you know? So that's kind of the analogy. It's like, it works in the beginning 
and then it turns you on you. I don't know how many books I've read, like autobiographies or behind the musics or, or whatever. Me too, man. You know, yep. where you where you hear people say basically that it's like things work in the beginning. You know, it was sex, drugs and rock and roll. Then it was sex and drugs. Then it was just drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So just, I was just about to say that. Yeah, it has a way of sneaking up on you. A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and Jerry P. Tuck can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts and RadioInfluence.com.